I'm Cindy Boxer, and you are listening to the Fiber Artist Podcast, where we chat with artists, makers, and creatives who work with fiber, get to know their stories, how they came upon their fiber practice, and more about the person behind the work. Today's episode is a little different than usual. We are getting practical. I got the chance to chat with Danielle Spurge from the Merriweather Council. Danielle is a fiber artist who's run a successful Etsy business for eight years, but she also offers one of the most important and invaluable resources for all of you out there working on growing your handmade businesses, information on how to best optimize and grow your Etsy. In addition to the Etsy training course she offers, Danielle also has a regularly updated blog, the Creative Life Happy Life Facebook group for handmade makers, and the Merryweather Council podcast, where she offers quick tips, interviews, and other useful information for handmade business owners. If you're serious about growing your business, this is the interview for you. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and finally chat with you. Yeah, definitely. So um, this is a little bit of a different interview because uh, I've been having mostly people who are fiber artists and who've really sort of um, devoted all of their time to making. And yeah. you're a little bit of a different case because your background sort of pivoted into um, a handmade coaching business. So what I'd like to do is just ask you, um, to go way back into your background to let um, just introduce yourself and let everybody know, uh, you know, how you came to fiber art, um, mm -hmm. what kind of fiber art you do, and then how you ended up making that pivot. Sure. Um, so going way back when I was a child, I was always very like creative and artistic. And I always was seeking out crafts and paper, drawing markers, all that stuff. And as I went through, you know, grade school and middle school, high school, I always was drawn to like the arts programs. But I really, um, I hated a lot of the things that we would do in school art, like drawing, painting. I really wasn't into that kind of stuff, but it was like the most, it was the closest I was going to get pretty mm -hmm. much through most of school. And then in high school, I was able to do like photography and sculpture and things like that. I was really lucky we lived in a place where our school district had really good art programs. And then I was applying to colleges and my teachers really encouraged me to pursue art school. And I ended up going to the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. And when I got there, I didn't really know what I wanted to focus on. I was just so excited that you could even go to art school, that this was even a thing, that this was real. And everyone had to do a foundation year anyway, where you did a little bit of everything so you could sort of pick what you wanted. And originally, I was going to do printmaking, which I do love, but is very mm -hmm. heavily focused on drawing, which I hate. <laughs> so I love the process of printmaking, but I didn't want to actually do it. And so I ended up stumbling into the fibers department at my college and I just loved what I saw. I had no clue really what that involved, um, but I just loved what I saw. So I ended up switching my major to fibers and that was perfect for me. I really am like a hands-on builder rather than like a drawer. Right. And I love non like materials that aren't wet and sticky or anything like that so I I was very happy to be in fibers and we did a lot of weaving and sewing embroidery you know anything with like soft materials and textiles and at most in most programs that are fiber based it is a 2d major so you're doing a lot of textile design but in in my program it was fine art based so we were doing a lot of sculpture and like conceptual art which oh, that I also, sounds so amazing. Yeah, I, I it was really an awesome program. I didn't I'm not super fine art minded. Um, I really prefer to make utilitarian mm -hmm. items mm -hmm. um, or just, you know, things that are just pretty to look at and just they don't necessarily have like meaning or whatever. <laughs> right. like beautiful like housewares or whatever. Um, so I was really happy there. And then when I graduated, I or when I was approaching graduation, I didn't know what I wanted to do next with my life. Like most people, you know, senior year of college. So I just applied to graduate school because I was like, well, I love school. I love what I'm doing now. I'll just continue to do that for another like two years until I sort myself out. And I was all set to go into a fibers program at the graduate level. 
And then a lot of like weird things happened with the program and the department. And I decided not to go. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started my handmade business because it was super last minute. I didn't have any other plans. And people, you know, everybody I knew had their plans set and they were going off doing their thing. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, well, I don't really have anything else to do. So let me try this. I was always really interested in that whole like gig economy and small business. I did my senior like thesis project about um, craft-based business owners. So I was like, I'm going to do this. That's when I started my Etsy shop. That's when I started doing a lot of like craft fairs and shows. And I was really lucky where I was living at the time in Boston, had a very vibrant community that Mm -hmm. supported that. Um, And so I got, I got really into that. And And what, what year was this? 2010. Okay. I graduated college and started this business like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that full time, like making and selling for about four and a half years. And then uh, my husband uh, joined the Navy <laughs> as oh, wow. an officer. And so our life kind of changed a little bit in the sense that he was going to be away a lot. He was going to training. We were going to move. And I was sort of feeling like very like lonely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had, you know, this business where I was working by myself a lot in my studio, which I love doing, but, you know, it was very isolating. Very isolating, yeah. And then, um, you know, he was going to be gone. We were going to be moving to a new place. I was like, I need something where I can like speak to other people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, I always love to do is talk small business and talk shop with people. And people were always asking me questions about Etsy and how are you achieving this? How are you gaining this traction? And so I was doing a lot of this talking about stuff with people, but not in any like uniform way. So that's when I started to really build out this other part of my business where I support other makers in business. Okay. So that's a really long story right. <laughs> of how I got to where I am now. Okay, wait. So a couple of questions. Um, what, what, when you were doing your markets and had, you know, doing 100% handmade stuff um, yeah. right out of college, uh, what kinds of pieces were you making at the time? And I guess, I guess the question is twofold. So did you find immediate sort of like immediate success on Etsy and in markets in person because I feel like those are two different two very different things so um just if you can tell us a little bit about um what kinds of pieces you were making and um, how you found success there yeah for sure so when I first started I was just doing kind of what everyone does where you just make what you like and there's really no cohesion and you just do what you do And then, you know, it wasn't like a smash hit success at all. I just was making things and listing them. I never sold like anything except like a box of Girl Scout cookies. So (laughs) I had no experience selling things. But I was making a lot of like machine sewn. (laughs) I don't want to say sewn because they weren't hand sewn, but they Mm -hmm. were machine sewn, um, like little buntings that I was making, like decor items and other like patchwork based projects and some embroidery pieces, but they were just random. As time went on, I was like, I hate using the sewing machine because it's not portable. Like, I mean, it is, but it's, you have to be like at home basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started doing more embroidery pieces and that I really enjoyed because it's super flexible. You can take it with you anywhere. And then as people started to notice my shop, um, I got a lot of requests. Mm -hmm. You know, Etsy is very much about like people want things personalized or custom colors, which I get because that's kind of part of the experience of Etsy is like finding things you can't find anywhere else. So I started listening to what people were asking for and just did more of that normally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a lot of requests for messaging pieces things with words and letters on them and that's kind of based on what I was sort of putting out but then people would ask for custom stuff and I could see what trends there were patterns in what people were requesting so I just added more of those things and then um basically giving the people what they want yeah I mean there's there's really no I know some people are like well I just want to make what I want to make and but there's really no shame in like you know appealing to what people naturally want. Exactly. Yeah. 
So I did um, get really into like text and letter form embroidery, mm-hmm. which I do love because I am super, uh, I love short term projects like that where you're not like married to them for three weeks and you can finish it in a day. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. So that really worked out for me. And then I got a lot into like weddings and babies and personalization and stuff like that. And that's what happened on Etsy. But of course you don't have that when you go to a market, you can't be like personalizing things on the spot really for people. So I would bring, you know, an array of things, um, different like messages, like people love quotes and different words, like word of the year kind of stuff. Like Um, memes. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, fun imagery. And this, of course, again, was happening in Boston, where, you know, people are pretty progressive, they're really open minded to, you know, what's current, and they, you know, they're they're just like hip people, I guess. (laughs) And so it was it was easy to kind of find things that people liked, Mm -hmm. and, you know, make them but I was not like, this was also not like a smash hit success out the gate either. And markets are really hard because there's a lot of manual labor that goes into like getting out there and setting up. So, but it was really, that was a learning experience for me in the sense of like speaking to people directly Mm -hmm. about my work, which definitely influenced how I sell online. So there was a lot to sort of learn (laughs) those first few years. So did you have a shop name when you were doing markets? Did you like come right out with a shop name and, and have everything sort of, almost like, you know, pretty professionally presented. Yeah. I mean, I did sort of a like DIY branding, visual branding thing. Mm. And I, I always knew that if I started a business, I would call it the Merriweather Council, even before I like knew I would start a business. What does that name Um, come from? The, the name is when I, well, so I was in the Girl Scouts for like 12 years, like from the earliest you can be a Girl Scout to the latest you can be a Girl Scout. And my friends and I, there was like eight or nine of us. We didn't really necessarily like feel attached to Girl Scouts, but we felt attached to each other. And so we just kept doing it. And it was really fun. And but, you know, in in middle school and high school, you don't really want people to like know that you're a Girl Scout. It's like kind <laughs> of like nerdy. So we we had this like code name for it. The Merriweather Council. Oh, that's, that's so that's awesome. So that's so it's cool. It's not an ideal business name, really. In hindsight, it's a little long, and it has the and you know, it's there's definitely other considerations that you know, if I knew better at the time, I would have probably picked something else. But I do love it. So yeah, no, and it's very um, it's Googleable. You know, you don't yeah. have like a hundred Merriweather Merryweathers coming up. Um, so it's actually good. I thought yeah. the same way about Neroma Studio and like I just came out with it because I was like, oh, I need a name. And it was yep. just a combination of my kids' names and then I regretted it and then now I'm like, oh, it's totally fine because yeah, there are is- no other, there are basically no other Neromas <laughs> when you Google. Yeah, my my primary like comp- competition in Google for Merriweather is there's like a Merriweather Post Pavilion somewhere, which is actually also in Maryland or Virginia, oh, which funny. two places I have lived, so... There's like a little bit of confusion, but it's obviously not, you know, if you're there for like two seconds, you can figure right. out it's not me. But <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, so when you just, so when was it that you decided to sort of pivot off into um, doing your handmade business? Like how long were you doing strictly making and then cha- sort of changing direction? Yeah, so I was strictly making probably through like 2015 oh for a while um, then yeah yeah like it was like definitely like four and a half or five full years of like not having any other employment besides my handmade business okay and then like I said my husband joined the navy we were going to be moving but we didn't know where the military is so like we'll let you know yeah (laughs) so hard so didn't even really know for sure where we would be living And I really wanted something that was a little bit more flexible, less dependent on me, like having access to all of my materials. And um, I also really wanted to like have communication with other humans on a daily basis, which you don't have a lot of unless you're really trying for it in a handmade business. 
Um, but it's so important. And I, like I said, I was already doing a lot of this like blogging and people were asking me questions and I was like, let me just like streamline this in some way and we can build this out. This can be my thing where I talk to other people. Um, and it was really, really awesome, like really well received. People were excited about it and, I was excited to be sharing what I had learned because when I was in college, there was, like I said, a very, this was a fine arts college. Um, Well, it was fine art and design, but my department was fine art, very heavily focused on you come to school, you get your degree, you graduate, you either get an MFA or you teach or you go work somewhere to support yourself and you're like hustling all the time mm-hmm. to get residencies or gallery shows. Like those were the options. And there really wasn't a lot of focus on like small business or entrepreneurship. So I was like, I want to be that person for other people who want to do this, but no one in their like primary circle of people who sh- should be supportive of them knows how to support them or doesn't realize it's possible, doesn't know any better. Yeah. So I was just trying to fill the gap that I wish had been filled when I was starting my business. And the rest is kind of just history. Um, I definitely do still run my handmade business. Before we got on this call, I just dumped like 20 packages off at the awesome. <laughs> Um, So I definitely still actively maintain my handmade business. And I love to do that. I wish I had time to do more of it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we're trying to work on for 2019. But for the past, I guess, four years now, it's been like two two parts of this yeah. business where it's like service-based and product-based. So a lot of it had to do with what my husband was doing and my desire <laughs> to communicate with other people. But yeah, it was, um, you know, like four, four-ish years of full-time like making. And I learned a lot, obviously, in that time. And continue to learn a lot about being a maker in business as I run both of my businesses. Definitely. I mean, okay. So I would say, like for for all the people that I know, you're one of the sort of the best resources as far as um, you keep up with all the changes, for example, that Etsy makes. Um, You offer so many wonderful different courses um, or like tutorials on how to how to best optimize your shop. Um, and I know so for a long time, when I found you in 2015, it was very Etsy-based. Is that still what you're doing now? Because Etsy's gone through some changes. Um, and I'm like, I'm a huge fan of Etsy too, huge fan. And I hear a lot of people saying, they just don't think that, um, you know, it's too saturated now. And, and this is specifically for fiber arts, right? So um, I know I've seen a, a huge influx of makers in the macrame and weaving world. Um, well, so I'm specifically talking about those two things. I don't really research. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm not researching the, the knit world and the embroidery world or, you know, things like that so much. But um, uh, people are saying that they don't feel like they're being seen on Etsy. And I know that Etsy is, as it grows bigger, it's, it is more people using it to sell their work and it's more people going, logging on to find, um, you know, to find pieces to buy. So what is, what is your opinion about Etsy now? And, um, you know, and are are you still on, are you still on Etsy? Oh yeah. You're still, Mm -hmm. okay. And do you have a separate, do you have a separate website to sell your products? I do. Okay, yeah. so you're both. It's uh, a little bit under construction at the moment, but it does exist. Yeah. Well, it's hard to maintain both. I know. I, I'm doing yeah. both as well, and it's 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 a bit difficult. But um, yeah. so yeah. So tell me about uh, what is your opinion about uh, Etsy now that it's making that, that it's going through some changes and and how to best start your handmade business? Yeah. So I feel like Etsy is definitely still the number one greatest tool available to makers in business. And there's, you know, for me, unless they do something that I'm like morally opposed to, I will maintain my Etsy presence indefinitely. Yeah. Um, For people who say it's too saturated, I just don't really get that, honestly. It's so much less saturated than almost any other way you could sell your product, like significantly less saturated. And I understand, you know... 100,000 shops. There's more than 100,000 shops. It's like one, I think it's 1.9 million or something is like the most 
up-to-date number I could get of shops. Um, 1.9 million active shops. But obviously that's like they could be open or on vacation or whatever. So there's a little bit of fluctuation there. 1.9 million versus what do we have on Instagram now? Like 1.9 billion. Who knows? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Crazy. It's definitely over 1 billion active users on Instagram. Um, and Facebook, yeah, I mean, it's cr- like, where else would you find a small, like that is a very small pool in the grand scheme of things. Um, and that's total across all niches. So yes, that is a lot, but it's so much smaller than you'll find pretty much anywhere else. Um, so I just don't really like follow a lot of the like, oh, it's too saturated. I'm like, well, where else would you go where it's less saturated? Like Google, like certainly not Google, certainly not Facebook, certainly not Instagram. Yeah. I don't. And for the exposure that you're getting, that's so well aligned to what you're selling. You really cannot go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think I think people who are frustrated with Etsy probably have very valid reasons, but they can move past them mm-hmm. easier than I think that they know they can. I would agree with you. I mean, I think Etsy is completely invaluable when you're first starting out. There's no other place where people where you have a built in user base that's going strictly to this one website to find handmade. Exactly. Um, there's Amazon handmade, which I think is fine. I mean, it's there, but I don't think people, I know I don't go to Amazon strictly for handmade stuff. Um, I, I think, and tell me if you agree or disagree. I think that the people who are not getting noticed on Etsy aren't just not, they're not doing it right. Like they're not, Mm -hmm. um, researching how to best optimize and be searchable. Um, and there are very specific things that you can do that you've taught me, um, Mm -hmm. to help your products come up when, you're searching, um, like, or when a customer is searching. Um, uh, so, t- so I think this sort of pivots into, tell us a little bit about what kind of um, things that you offer in the Meriwether Council um, and which different formats. I know you have a Facebook group, uh, which I am on, yeah. and it's wonderful. <laughs> and, um, and then also you offer some um, paid options as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I definitely just want to mention too, like, if people are frustrated with Etsy, I think it's, it's twofold. Like you said, they're probably not tapped into exactly what they should be doing, um, or they're, they're doing it wrong, or they heard wrong information, which is probably the number one thing I untangle in my inbox all the time. Yes. I heard X, Y, and Z, and I'm like, I don't know why you heard that, because that is not true at all. So there's a lot of bad information, and it's just people get confused. If you don't know any better and you're brand new, you're going to believe whatever it is you hear, because what what other reason do you have not to? Yeah. Actually, so there's- <laughs> actually, can we pause for a second? What do you feel like is the most, like the number one biggest misconception that you feel like you're hearing about these days? Well, I think the number one biggest misconception is that Etsy is too saturated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I spend a decent amount of time explaining that it's not. But the there have been like crazy outlandish rumors floating around, you know, and they eventually come through somewhere that I am. And I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't even make logical sense at all. Um, but yeah, definitely the number one misconception is that it's too saturated. Um, cause when you compare it against everything else, it's really the smallest right. you can get. <laughs> right, totally. Um, and like you said, as, um, the, sh- as the site, the platform grows in general, that's not just shops, that's also buyers. So yeah, it's, no, you know, totally. it sort of pays, it, you know, goes both ways, but in, in terms of what I offer through Meriwether Council, Um, my primary offerings right now are my, uh, monthly membership, the council (laughs) and my Etsy training course, um, which is not like, it's not available all of the time. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but the, the Facebook group is a place where I am able to connect with people and people can get there at clhl.club, which is creative life, happy life (laughs) on Facebook. Um, And that's a place where I can connect with people and people can connect with each other. 
um, you know, traditional Facebook group stuff, except my group is extremely well moderated. So we don't have any like, I try to keep those like rumors out um, and stuff like that. So it's a very well maintained group. Um, The Etsy training course is like the if you want to go like hit it hard, get everything you want to you ever wanted to know about Etsy in one fell swoop. That is has had significant impact on so many shops. Um, It's pretty much everything I know and continue to learn about Etsy in one place. So like you said, I do keep up with the changes, which is important for me as well. And I think that's important that it's important for me as well absolutely. um, as a seller myself on the platform. So I do keep up with it. It gets updated and it's very well maintained. Um, And that is truly like if you are I've had new sellers take it, people who are in the process of opening their shop and they love it because they're like, it saved me so much time, like having to go back and fix things. Mm -hmm. And then I've had longtime sellers take it who appreciate it for like getting back to the basics, like understanding like, oh yeah, I forgot (laughs) all these things. And also they tell me often they wish they had taken it sooner because now they're redoing a lot of work they spent years doing. Mm -hmm. Um, that they never did the right way to begin with. Right. So that's really like my main, like it's all about Etsy. Certainly some of the strategies you could transfer to other platforms, but it's all about Etsy. And, and then my my oh, membership, sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Uh, what format is the Etsy training course? It's primarily video based. There are a couple lessons that are text based. But it's all on-screen trainings in my using my own shop, obviously the only shop I have <laughs> complete access to front and back end. Mm-hmm. So it's all on-site. You could literally follow along my training over here in this window, your shop over here in this window, um, screen recorded, really concise videos. I try to keep them like separated by actual thing or practice so you're not having to sit through like four hours of stuff to find where each thing is covered it's brilliant Um, everything is really broken down really granular so it's easy to find what you're looking for it's easy to refer back to things um and implement step by step so we it's designed to be a self-guided shop critique Mm -hmm. So we start at the very top of your shop and work all the way down addressing every part of your shop And then we go to the back end and address every part that you as a seller have opportunities in for connecting better to the platform and the buyers on that platform. That's awesome. So it's primarily video and that seems to be the best because there is so much like, okay, click here, you know, look at this, whatever. Um, And people seem to react best to that video format. Um, and then my membership site is really for people with any kind of handmade business, whether they sell on Etsy or not. And we do a lot of like marketing discussion and lesson there. We do planning, strategy, live calls, hot seats, shop critiques, and things like that. And that's a monthly experience. So people just pay for as many months as they want to be a member. Cool. And that's really fun. Um, you know, we've had, I think we've maintained, like it's almost been two years for the council and like 70% of the original members are still members. Oh, that's so awesome. Which is crazy. That, I mean, <laughs> I feel amazing. like that tells, that tells you a lot. That tells you yeah. that you're definitely doing something right. And they're gaining all of this time, month after month, they're gaining new uh, yeah. new information and benefiting as they continue through the yeah. programs. That's that's awesome. And they love each other. <laughs> so <laughs> they have sort of come together on their own as well in a lot of ways, like collaborations oh, that's awesome. and different like initiatives that they've planned on their own, which is really cool. And so I always say like, you know, at a certain point, you don't need to like learn anything new. It's just about like staying up to date, staying connected, and like implementing, that's yeah. like one of the biggest things is like people can learn forever, but like if you don't implement, yeah, what does it matter? So yeah. we spend a lot of time like here today, we're going to do this or like this week, we're going to work on this. And people really react well to that, like actually doing stuff. Yeah. Um, so some, you know, just the support and the community too is like invaluable. And so it's really fun for me to be a part of that and to, you know, sort of be like the captain yeah. there too. So I love doing both of those things and 
it's really awesome for me to be a small part of so many other businesses. Like it's cool that I can run my own business and send things out and be successful selling my products. But it's more exciting when it can transfer (laughs) to other people. um, And I can be a small part of so many other success stories too. Yeah, it's incredibly rewarding, I I would think. Yeah, it's and it's really fun because I'm like, you know, it's kind of like a great excuse to like be up in someone else's business. Yeah, you know, like yeah, it's totally. so much fun to like untangle other people's problems or work through other, you know, it kind of engages a different part of your brain because yeah. there's only some, you know, you sort of do your own thing for a certain amount of time and then you get into a rhythm with it or whatever. And it's fun for me to have other things to think about. Definitely. So. Um, and then you also have a podcast. I do, yeah. <laughs> I always forget that I have a podcast. I always forget to mention it. But yeah, the Merryweather Council podcast, which is on iTunes and Stitcher and all that good stuff, is um, realistic and concise advice for makers in business. Um, we're in our fourth season now. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's Dang, crazy. <laughs> I, I don't even know how you're keeping up your actual handmade business because of all these other things, which I, I know take – basically like all the all the realistic time in the world (laughs) podcasting i feel like is um so deceiving like people have no clue what actually goes into pod i mean you know (laughs) but like the average person just i don't know if they like know all it's so many pieces come together to make a podcast it's crazy it is but i love doing it um it's it's really fun format and especially you know this like makers they don't want to they don't read anything. They want to be using their eyes and their hands for making. Exactly. <laughs> so to actually just be able to like speak to people is really effective. So the podcast, um, you know, I keep the episodes short usually. We have had some interviews with other sellers, some interviews with other experts. And yeah, I, I think people people seem to like it. So I Yeah, I do. I listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Awesome. Um I have a question um, about bad reviews. How do you think people should handle bad reviews on Etsy? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I I always like to sort of take the proactive approach of like, what can we do ahead of time to mitigate bad feedback um, and make it so that it doesn't happen? I mean, obviously, most people are trying to avoid bad feedback. Mm-hmm. But like to make it so that if there is a situation where bad feedback might be inspired, <laughs> let's say, that the person can come to you first and you can try to resolve it. Um, so I usually like to suggest people put something in their packages so that when the person gets it, if there is an issue at the time of them opening the package, they have instruction on what to do about it right. rather than run to Etsy and leave a bad review. Good but call. if that fails, <laughs> if if the, uh, the safeguard fails, um, I think it's important to respond. Like I, I would definitely encourage people to respond to negative reviews that, you know, on Etsy, if it's three stars or less, you can leave a public response. And if you are going to respond to it, Um, I would encourage you to just approach it as you speaking to the other people who are reading it rather than you speaking directly Mm. to that customer. Good And also probably (laughs) probably give yourself like a couple hours before you (laughs) go at it immediately. But it's so hard. It's so disheartening when people leave bad feedback. Sometimes I think it is our own mistakes and things happen. Mistakes happen. I wouldn't you know, jump off a bridge about one bad review. Like, don't let it get you so spun up. Just, you know, recognize if it is your own mistake, just recognize it and own up to it. Mm -hmm. If the person is being crazy, which often does happen, like the person has been unreasonable or they weren't following, you know, sometimes people, they don't see all the information. They thought it was going to show up tomorrow and it's clearly not. Right. You know, sometimes people kind of out themselves in their reviews. Like, it took forever to get here. I ordered it on Tuesday and it didn't arrive till Friday. And it's like anybody reading that is going to be like, okay, that's (laughs) obviously irrational. Right. Um, It's just important, I think, to 
if you respond publicly to it, um, do it as professionally as possible and speak to the other people who might be reading it to, to clarify, you know, what your position was. And then one thing I see a lot that I would suggest not doing is people get a bad review and they're all up on like Instagram about it. Look at this review I got. This is terrible. I can't believe people are so outrageous. And like, there's definitely a time and a place for like outing things like that, but I wouldn't like make it a, a priority <laughs> or like a, you know, get into a practice of doing that. I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen that often that yeah. you would have the opportunity to turn it into a practice, <laughs> but I just think it's not, you don't want to draw more attention to it. Um, even if that attention is like, yeah, we all agree with you. <laughs> um, I think it's just best to like, just deal with it and move on. Yeah. You know, it's not the end of the world. Things happen. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's say we're pre bad review and I get this a lot in my, um, actually in our macrame movement group, I see it where somebody's, you know, obviously put like two or three weeks into a piece. They deliver it. Mm -hmm. Say they even hand deliver it and the person accepts it and then they go home and like a day later, the person is like, I'm not happy. Uh-oh. <laughs> but say, I don't know, say they could eventually leave you a bad review in a public forum. Um, what do you do? Like a, if it's a custom, something you made specifically for them mm -hmm. and to their specifications and they accept it and then a day later they don't like it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. That's, that's hard because it's like, well, I made this for you. Yeah. I did this, you know. I put in all I the work. Think, yeah. I think sometimes it just comes down to, with something like that. This has happened. You know, I've seen this happen I don't know if this has directly happened to me, but sometimes people just need to better trust the artist. Um, like you, you came, you saw, you asked for a reason. There was something about the way I do what I do that attracted you and you trusted me to create this for you. Like, let's, let's go back through it. I have done this. This is what you asked for. I suggested this. Look at how beautiful it goes with this, this. It really aligns with what you asked for in terms mm -hmm. of X, Y, Z. Like really just like breaking it down for them so that they can better like see exactly what you did. Sometimes people do just have to like sit with a thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, especially if it's something of, you know, statement that's large, that's part of their, their home now. Sometimes it just needs a couple of days. They just need a couple of days to settle in with it because it looks different. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important for people to not like just immediately like give in and be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. OK, I'm refunding you. Like, yeah. let's, <laughs> you know, talk about this. Or, you know, sometimes a certain like little change can be made. You know, maybe that's not the end of the world for you to to add or subtract or whatever. Um, but I think it's really important that in the case of someone asked you to custom make them something that they understand from the beginning that this is for them. You're not going to like it is a final sale. And I think that that's completely justified no matter what level of custom you're doing. If mm -hmm. something is personalized and custom to someone like that's pretty standard that you can't return it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think people can, depending on the, the breadth of the project, like keep people in the loop. Like, here's my progress. Let me know. Should I keep doing this? You know, but I've definitely seen it where like someone does all of that and then the person gets it and they decide they don't like it. And I think sometimes it's like just buyer's remorse or yeah. they, you know, realize, especially when projects take, you know, a month or so to finish people, yeah. you know, a month ago they were in a financial position to be like, yeah, I'm hot with cash. Let's spend it. But you know, then they're like, wait, maybe I shouldn't have spent all that money. And so they're just like, oh, I don't like the the color on right, the top. Right. Or, you know, they just come up with something to say. And, you know, people have to stand their ground um, and be really like professionally assertive about what they've done, mm -hmm. but also be like willing to like work with people in terms of, okay, I did what you asked me to do. I worked with what you gave me the best that I possibly could. You know, I could not have read your mind. Like you have to be really like explain to people that you did what they asked you to do and just 
continue to reiterate, like, look how beautiful it represents what you asked me right. to create for you. Or you wanted this this shade of blue and I worked it in in so many different ways or whatever kind of things. Yeah. Sometimes I think people just really need to feel like you as the artist would have made it on your own if they had not asked you to. You right. know what I mean? Like that it really did come from you. And remember that people came to you for a reason to begin with. And that means something. So I think in most cases, those those things can be resolved. Yeah. Do you feel like pe- um, people should... So say the person is like, just, I, I'm just, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't like it. I don't want it. Um, should we bend over backwards in a way, like at least to, to avoid the bad review or give a discount or a refund or? Um... I think, unfortunately, my answer is that it kind of depends where you're at with your shop. Like if mm-hmm. your shop is brand new and this is your first sale, like, yeah, right. yeah, I would suggest you bend over backwards about it. If this is your like 200th sale and you have a pretty good standing and you, you know, know that you're going to make another order and they're going to love it. And, you know, like I wouldn't worry about like one person didn't like their thing that you custom made for them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. If it's like your first sale, like you kind of have to be, yep. unless you want to like shoot yourself in the foot, like it sucks. <laughs> but I would definitely be like, you know, it kind of depends what your situation is at the moment. Um, yeah, but no, in that's, general, that's no, I yeah. don't think people should bend over backwards. If they did everything that was asked of them and they did it in a timely manner, you know, according to the timeline, um, I, I think a lot of people do because they feel bad or whatever, but it's, it's really irresponsible as a business owner to constantly be breaking your policies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of policies, I think this is one <laughs> thing you have to put in your policies. It's like, yes. once you accept it, no, you know, sell, all sales are final. Um, especially custom. I mean, unless yeah. you like, so I do primarily custom work as well. And like, unless I send you the wrong thing. You know, it is what it is. Like, that's if I make what you asked for, like, what, why would we have a problem? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I've done my part and showed you all the colors as best as I can, explained the process as best as I can, and like, you know, in my case, I'm doing these like letter forms and, um, initials and things like that. And so I show people exactly like, this is what this letter will look like every letter of the alphabet, uppercase, lowercase. And people sometimes will be like, Oh, I didn't realize it was going to look like that. And I'm like, first of all, that is the alphabet. I did not invent it. The letters have always looked this way. Um, you know, very rarely though, like you, you do the best you can, like what else can you do? You know, it's, you have to do the best you can and then people have to also do the best they can. Mm -hmm. And the best they can is to look at what they're buying before they buy it um, and accept, you know, the terms. But yeah, policies are so important. And I just think people don't realize that by adhering to their policies, they're not only protecting themselves, they're protecting all of their other customers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so yes, there's definitely a time and a place to bend the policies. But for the most part, I think, we could all benefit from sticking to the policies that we set more yeah. more rigidly um, as long as they're, you know, fair to begin with. And it is fair to say if I make you something custom from scratch, like it is yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, that is and, fair. Yeah. And we're not, uh, as makers, we're not like, you know, we're not the gap. We can't right. be like, oh, okay, it's fine. I'm just going to take it back like for, with every little, you know, every little that, issue. Yeah. It's like you have to value your time. You know, exactly. you did the work that was asked of you exactly Um, yeah um let's talk about pricing okay Uh, i think one of the biggest questions i get oh no i think i just rubbed all of my eyeliner anyway (laughs) um Uh oh one of the biggest questions uh i i see people ask is like how do i figure out how to price my work some people say use this formula some people say don't use a formula what do you think Uh uh-oh we're frozen daniel oh there you are Oh no. One second, guys. She's a little frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can okay, you hear me? Yep. Okay. Back. Okay. Yeah. So pricing. 
formula. I think um, I think using a f- that very basic formula that you'll see anywhere if you just Google pricing formula, I think that one is it's a good starting place. You know, you may as well run it and see what you get and see how you feel about it. Sometimes the number that pops out of that formula is outrageous or it feels outrageous. Outrageously um, low or outrageously usually, high? Usually outrageously high. People usually will run a formula and they'll be like, what? No, no possible way anybody would ever pay that. Um, and I think that it's important for people to know, like, just numerically, this is the goal, right? Um, or this is where your numbers should be in order for you to make profit. But there are so many factors and like, well, maybe you can reduce your costs and that would mm-hmm. change the formula. Or maybe you can find a way to speed up your time, and that would change the formula. Um, or maybe you can find a way to inexpensively add value, which would increase the perceived value of your product. Um, mm. There's so many different ways to like mess with, with pricing. The formula is a good starting place. I wouldn't take it and run with it and just like live and die by it, but I would use it as a guide. Um, especially if you are, you know, certain products, it definitely matters more. You know, I know for me, I'm not counting how many inches of thread did I use from this skein for each and, you know, some stuff is like, you kind of have to round it out. Um, but yeah, and I think it's so important that people understand that them pricing appropriately, Again, is not just for them; it's for everyone. Mm-hmm. Not u- not usually buyers, but definitely it does translate to them. But for the entire community, um, the people who are super underpricing are really d- doing a disservice to everyone, including themselves. Including themselves, yes. most especially to themselves. Um, and I know some people are like, "Well, it's just a hobby for me," you know. But this is not a hobby platform. That's that's the pro like on Etsy especially, right? It's not a hobby platform. Um, so it it is important to have a an understanding of the numbers, but you don't have to be scared of those numbers. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as making your web presence really aligned and cohesive and easy to navigate can increase what people are willing to pay for your product. Like I'm sure you saw. This past week, this was viral, like crazy viral. The Tiffany's paperclip. Did you see it? (laughs) Um, Tiffany's selling this paperclip. It's like a bookmark, but it's solid silver or whatever. They have a gold one as well. It's like $250 or something. It's essentially just a paperclip. And people were like, look at this. (laughs) Tiffany's can sell this paperclip for $250. And that's because of their clout and their, you know, the brand they've built over time, the people who are going to pay that, like they're not even going to bat an eyelash about it. Yeah. But it's because Tiffany's has built up this business of luxury and aesthetics that people just trust. And, you know, it feels like very fancy. It mm-hmm. feels, you know, like they've done such a great job, like positioning their brand. I mean, obviously right. it's one of the most <laughs> major brands in the world, but you know, it's just, it's crazy to think like you can do whatever you want and people, there is a market for every single product at every single price point. Of course, the people who are price point, like way, way down here, there is a, there is an audience for that. But most people, I think, especially on platforms like Amazon Handmade or Etsy, or even when they come directly to our own sites or whatever, they're not looking to pay that bottom of the, the bottom of the barrel price. Yeah. For these items, it's not like you're strolling down the the toilet paper aisle at Target, <laughs> like where any of those will do, right? Yeah. It's like this is a special occasion or something, an investment that they're making in art or craft or something for their home or special occasion. You know, it, they're not looking to get a bargain; they're looking to get what they want, mm-hmm. <laughs> so or something that's really special. So you have a lot of power in that pricing wise too. Um, when you can deliver a unique product to people, you can charge more for it. So yeah. there's definitely a lot of ways that people, I think, don't realize that their their work has value beyond just what it is. Right. People look at their own work and they're like, oh, it's just fill in the blank. Oh, it's just a mug. Right. No, it's not just a mug. It's what is 
what is it what is on the mug how did you make the mug like what is this mug going to provide to this person that has value it's harder to see it as you you know you made it so it's harder to see yeah but it still exists and yeah. it's still real so you have to consider it yeah and i think one of the things that people forget to include um and you know when we go back to the formula so actually uh for people who haven't aren't familiar with this formula it's uh what materials materials plus um your time times like an hourly rate right that you're accept that you're okay with like say you're doing you're okay with $15 an hour times this right. piece took me 3 hours to make plus the cost of materials right so that's your equation um right. but i think a lot of people forget to factor in um a couple things uh that their time also includes the time to package it up say you're making it extra nice right yep. cuz your branding is really good and you want your package to look extremely beautiful you right. need to spend time packaging it up and um you're buying extra materials to buy beautiful to make you know a beautiful package so right. you have to make sure that you're factoring all of that stuff in plus the time to list the item the time that you are on Instagram to try to sell the item like there's all these little things that go into it's so that that's not 3 hours that probably ended up being 5 hours um, yeah. Yeah. There's so many things that people forget they do. <laughs> like you, you sort of are like, oh, it only took me 25 minutes to make this piece. Okay. But then you photographed it, then you listed it, then you marketed it. Plus all the time you forgot to add into the 25 minutes originally, <laughs> you know, plus I know the, people, plus the cost of the amount of hours of sleep you lost. <laughs> right. I mean, there, and you know, there's trade-offs. You know, I know people who like have been making product, the same product for years. And then one day they're like, I'm actually going to time it. And it's twice as long mm -hmm. as they thought it was. Absolutely. Um, or whatever. And that actually, I've seen it go both ways where they thought it took an hour and it actually takes 20 minutes or they thought it took 20 minutes and it actually takes an hour or whatever. Like, it's so important to just like sort of check in every now and then, like, how long does it actually take me? And then, of course, it usually takes less time to make multiples in one sitting um, as opposed to just a one-off. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate to just sit down and make one thing and be done with it. Like, I want to have, like, five things to make at a time and, you know, process them all at once. Mm -hmm. um, because it's it's easier to do five things in a row than it is to make one, stop, start again, pull everything out again, whatever. So sometimes it's a matter of the process and the time, you know, in streamlining can be changed too. So there's so much to it. That's why people shouldn't just like look at the formula and then call it a day. Yeah. Really have to like consider the personal aspects. Definitely. Um, so, oh, so I was under the impression and this might be true or not. I'm not sure. I wanted to ask you. So your Facebook group is Creative Life Happy Life, C-L-H-L. Did you, is that your hashtag? Creative Life Happy Life on Instagram? Is that your hashtag? <laughs> It is. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, I guess Way I back started when. it. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, three three years old. It has like more than a million something posts I in know, it now. I know. Because yeah, I think crazy. that must be how I found you is like um, – yeah, way back when in 2015, I think I saw the Creative Life Happy Life hashtag and then, yeah, somehow stumbled upon you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I I mean, I'm not really super up to date on Instagram stuff. It's kind of confusing to me. But back in the day, <laughs> so long ago, three years ago, <laughs> hashtags were like, you had to have a hashtag. Like, yeah. every, you had to have a hashtag for everything. And I don't know. So I started this feature account, Creative Life Happy Life, which is at Creative Life underscore Happy Life. Um, and at the time, it was a feature account. And that was on the recommendation of a I heard some podcast episode with Shalene Johnson, where she was like, you have to have a feature account. I'm like, okay, Shalene, I have a feature account. <laughs> and um, that was really fun for a while. But it's super hard to maintain a feature account. So now I just use it as kind of like an inspiration account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you. yeah, it was it's fun to see. I like to scroll through it. It's it's a pretty good hashtag. It hasn't been like super overrun by like trolls or anything yet. Yeah. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, mine's already starting to get <laughs> like I have like one person who keeps posting under my hashtag um, with like anime pictures. Oh like, no! Uh, as long as it's so not random. like anime porn, I guess it's okay. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that's just the nature of hashtags. I think yeah. so kind of unavoidable. Um, okay, so 
I guess last question related to handmade businesses. What do you think would be like the, the top three tips you would give someone who is starting out on Etsy and not having um, – like not getting the kind of results that they want? What do you think that they're doing wrong? Um, and you don't have to go into great, great detail, just like the top three things. And I think the thing is that people who are listening, you guys really should check out Daniel's resources. I did um, one of her shorter Etsy training courses. I don't know if you still offer it, but I did that. And that seriously changed it for me. Like, I feel like I went from zero views to my pieces to like, that was how my business got started, you guys. So, <laughs> well, the so yeah, the Etsy course. Is actually like there's only one. So if you haven't logged in in a while, just log back in and you'll see all the new stuff. Nice. <laughs> um, if, if people are starting out on Etsy and they're not seeing traction, my top three things are give it time, A. <laughs> in conjunction with that, though, is list more items. Usually, like one of the things that people say a lot to me is like, oh, I started and, you know, nothing has happened. Here's my link can you take a look? And I'm like, well, you only have like two pieces. listings. <laughs> so yeah. two listings in a sea of however many million listings is not enough. So you need to list more things. That's like super probably the number one thing. And then also not filling out the like necessary spaces. So usually it's like they only have two photos or there's very minimal product description um, like there's not enough information for a person to take action on purchasing. Basically, mm-hmm. people forget that they are consumers themselves. What would you want to see as a consumer? Yeah, put that in there. <laughs> it's very basic when you think of it that way, but it's so easy to forget because you know there's so much that goes into. I mean, it's really not, but it feels like okay, I got to hit this and this and all these things just to get it up and running, just to open it, right? So by the time you get it open, you're like, okay, here I am. <laughs> um, but you have to like outfit it for mm-hmm. sales. Mm-hmm. You have to actually present the shop that you want people to shop in. Yeah. You know, if you were to open a brick and mortar store, you wouldn't just put two items on the shelf and call it a day. Mm-hmm. So um, people have to remember their consumer self. That's what I like to call it. Um, you know, what would you want to see as a consumer? Do that. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Even, yeah. Even with the item descriptions, it's so easy to be like, okay, uh, here are the dimensions of the wall hanging. It's made with cotton and it's on yeah. a birch branch. Okay. Right. Well, they can see that with their eyes. So what yeah. can't they see? It's like perhaps a little description of what it will do to your environment. Like, will mm-hmm. it, will it finish up a room? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. You know? Exactly. Nobody, nobody just buys like four by 12 inch piece of cotton they buy you know the the finishing touch on this nursery or exactly you know the perfect gift great over a couch yeah exactly um so you definitely want to talk about like what are the benefits of this product Mm -hmm. um but yeah those those definitely like the top three there's definitely more (laughs) but those are the top three for sure awesome oh my gosh this was like so helpful um it really it actually makes me want to go back in i think i feel like i need even though i don't i don't invest that much time or um time into Etsy anymore but um uh it makes me want to go back in and see what else i could do because it's you know the the more outlets if you're able to handle it, if you can have a few a few different outlets of selling your work, mm-hmm. then I think that's as handmade business owners, you have to optimize on all of it, right? Yeah, for sure. And I would love to just mention, if you don't mind, yeah, please. Um, there is a free Etsy masterclass that I offer. Um, if people want to watch it, they can go to meriwethercouncilblog.com forward slash masterclass. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can watch it there. That's kind of like if you want to hear more about like how Etsy, how you can unlock the power of Etsy for yourself. Awesome. That's where to go. That's so, that's so great. I honestly, like, I feel like the work that you do is so, so invaluable. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've just directed people to like check you out because it's like, I don't have to, I personally don't have time to answer all your questions and I don't know that much. Um, I know like what I did, but it was, 
three years, like, you know, two, three years ago. So yeah, you're one of the people that's really keeping up on it. And thank you um, so much. I always appreciate whenever you refer someone to me, or I see that you have spoken about me so positively. I appreciate that so much. And I'm so happy that it worked for you. Yes, No, it's brilliant. That was like the launching pad for all these other amazing things you're doing. It really was. It's so So, cool. (laughs) It benefits me in the long run, too. If you know, all these creative people out there are better equipped to share their work that's I'm all about that totally I mean I feel like I could ask you a gazillion more questions but I really do want people to go go to your website check out Danielle's content and all the like the breadth and depth of information that she gives on how to have a truly successful handmade business is like it's legit guys like for real legit so thank you um, so much yeah it's and it's here's the thing it is worth your investment in yourself is educating you on how to properly use Etsy. Like it's it's huge. It's going to be – it can be your make it or break it on whether or not you're successful on that platform. So um, I totally encourage you guys to check it out. And yeah, thanks so much, Danielle. Yes, thank you so much. It was awesome to chat. Yeah, same here. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on naromastudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the fiber artist podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.